Hey all, just a quick note. If you're interested, GauntletCon is an online gaming convention happening this month from Thursday, October 24th through Sunday, October 27th. Several of us misdirected Mark folk are going to be attending and running games and participating in seminars. It's all online, so no travel worries. If you're interested, follow the link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the captivating Carla Everson, Bob's mom, the daring Daniel Markwig, and the judicious Jen Pixelscapes Gagney. Today we have myself, Ange, along with JT and Jared, and we're going to talk about the weather. Well, not the real weather. We're going to talk about using weather and seasons in your games. Before we dive into that main topic, though, let's ask our Get to Know a Gnome question. What is the worst weather you've ever had to travel through for gaming, and was it worth it? Jared, I'm going to start with you. Okay, well, uh, living in central Illinois, anytime you get into winter gaming, it gets a little dicey. And, you know, I'm saying this to someone that lives in the Buffalo area, so this is going to sound ridiculous (laughs) anyway, but I had a game group at one point in time where we were playing at a friend's house and they lived on campus. It's about 10 miles away from me. And my uh, stepkids were playing with us too. And it was really icy weather, but we were going to be really careful. We were going to go out there. And I just remember my stepson running for the car and sliding underneath the car and completely disappearing. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) It turned out it was worth it. But part of why it was worth it is because, we could keep making fun of him for sliding under the car for the whole rest of the night. <laughs> <laughs> JT, what about you? Oh, so for me, it was also snow related. Um, it was probably early November. Uh, I live in Colorado, so early November can bring any kind of weather uh, in Colorado, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. And this particular Saturday was a beautiful day. I mean, it, it was just, you know, puffy clouds and beautiful and a, a little brisk being the time of year, but no bad weather. And our role-playing group, we had a few people out of town, but we decided to get together anyway and play some board games. Uh, the board game that we chose was Arkham Horror, uh, which, you know, is Lovecraftian-themed and all that good stuff. So we I uh, haul up to uh, uh, Castle Rock, which is, I'm going to say, about a 45-minute drive for me door-to-door from my house to, to my friend's house that was mm-hmm. hosting. And um, we're playing Arkham Horror. There's a good group of us. And it kept thundering. And so we're like, and every time we'd roll the dice, there would be like big, loud thunder, which was totally appropriate. It, it was, we, we loved that. It was, it was a great aesthetic for the game, right? And um, we're like, wow, it must be raining. But we were so into the game, nobody went to the window to check the weather. Turns out it wasn't a thunderstorm. It was what's called thunder snow. Oh. Uh, which it sounds like you're familiar with that one there, Ange. So in the course of playing one game of Arkham Horror, which if you've ever played the game, you know that takes like three, four, five hours. It snowed about six inches. Wow. We went from beautiful weather to six inches of snow and nobody knew. <laughs> so we pack up our stuff and I throw on my lightweight jacket because that's all I brought with me. And we go trundling outside to the cars and open the door and just stop. I'm like, oh no, but I got to get home because I got stuff to do tomorrow. I'm going to risk it. So I get my front wheel drive Volkswagen Jetta uh, that I had at the time. And about four and a half hours later, I get home. <laughs> I, I never took the car out of second gear or beyond second gear. I, it's a, it was a manual five-speed transmission. Never got out of second gear because I needed that torque to push through the six inches of snow 
that existed between Castle Rock and Monument, it, where, where I live. So uh, <laughs> that, that was the worst weather I've ever had to, to brave leaving a game. <laughs> uh, how about you, Ange? What, what's the worst Buffalo weather you've had to tackle? I'm actually not in Buffalo. I'm oh, you're in not? Rochester. Sorry, my uh, bad, is, my bad. No, it's it's fine. I'm near Buffalo. Buffalo's only about an hour away. And okay. we, get, we end up having some similar weather situations because we are both situated right on the Great Lakes. And the Great Lakes offers some interesting complications <laughs> to your weather. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we, we generally have uh, what's called lake effect snow which is you get your normal snow and then the lake decides to just pile a little bit more on. Uh, and by a little bit more, like Buffalo literally a couple of years ago had a lake effect snow situation, which was complicated by the fact that they're on Lake Erie, but very close to Lake Ontario. And so literally half of Buffalo got hit with six feet of snow, not six inches, six feet of snow, and the other half of Buffalo just got a dusting. Oh, wow. It's like, this is the type of snow we deal with up here. My snow my snow story is actually on the way back from a con. I went to Yukon, which happens in November up in Michigan, near Ypsilanti, Ann Arbor area. On the way back, we basically passed Cleveland, and it started snowing. And so basically Cleveland to Erie, Pennsylvania, which is normally about in less than an hour, about an hour's drive, took us about three hours because it just started dumping snow on us. And I hate driving in the snow. I absolutely hate it. it. It was like, you know, crawling at like 10 miles an hour on certain sections of I-90 It was totally worth it because the con was fantastic, but I have declared that if I am going again, I'm letting some other people drive. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into our main topic. You know, with the changing of seasons, we're moving from, from, you know, summer into fall. We thought it would be fun to talk about how to use weather in your games and seasons in your game. You can totally run a game without ever mentioning the weather. But you can really pump up the verisimilitude of the game to bring in a little bit of that climatic flavor. So, JT, I'm going to start with you. What are some of your thoughts on bringing weather into your game? So, I tend to reserve it for higher levels, where the the instead of throwing tougher and tougher monsters or bad guys at the at the PCs, mm-hmm. I will keep the same level, of it, so to speak, of monsters or encounter challenges. And then I'm going to pile weather on top of that and make the opponents of the PCs used to that weather. You know, so they, they're not as negative, negatively affected by say the, the slick ice mm-hmm. or the pounding rain or the sweltering heat or whatever it is. So the bad guys aren't really affected by it as much, but the PCs have a persistent yet another opponent, which is the weather. So that's kind of my uh, bag of tricks is I wait for higher levels. Because if you do that to lower level PCs, eh, they may not survive it, right? If you like, if they're making, I don't know, whatever, dex check every round to stay on their feet while being stabbed by a bugbear um, <laughs> that's immune to that effect, you're going to have a really short game or short campaign. So that that's what I do. And I'll describe the weather here and there maybe every two to three sessions. So that way, when I do start describing the weather, the players aren't like, oh, he's never described the weather before. This must be important. 
but if I do the weather description every two or three sessions, they're, they're, it, it lulls them to sleep, so to speak, right? They're like, oh, it's just another weather description. And then I can drop the, the other shoe and say, and yada, 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 the, the, the weather is going to be impacting you this way. Yeah, so you use it kind of, you can use it kind of as a mechanical complication to a combat. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Jared? Oh, I think probably the most extensively that I used weather was in the year-long 7C game that I was running. Because Mm -hmm. if anything, when you have people on a ship moving from one side of the continent to the other, you don't want that sea journey to just be, oh, and then you sailed for three months. So having something that kind of, you know, talks about the, the sea storms and what happens and, you know, how it pitches the boat around and the dangers that that causes, that's kind of important to have included in the game. And another thing that I uh, did in that campaign was they ended up going to Asura, which is the Russian counterpart, in the winter, which was insane because they're sailing through ice flows and, you know, it's a blizzard and they can't see anything. So I really liked, you know, making sure that they were dealing with those things. And it, it's good in games to have tools to make those not just narrative because once you describe a thing and then there are rules attached to it, I think it becomes a little bit more, bit more real and people tend to remember it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. One thing that Core 7C didn't really have something to address hazards, like you could kind of slapdash things with the usual encounter system to do something. But when the uh, New World supplement came out, they had this thing that was literally called hazards and they have specific effects that you can spend raises to do. And that once we had that, that was so much more fun to play with because then you could literally have an encounter. I didn't have to say, Oh, there is weather. And on this, on this, you know, count something happens, but it's mainly the fight. It's literally, you could have people trying to, you know, trim the sails and, you know, steer away from the things. And that's all stuff that had mechanical weight. And then they were taking, you know, I could spend my raises to do certain things, so it became an active thing back and forth. Yeah. And that's a lot of what I look for, is to try and find mechanics that already exist in the game to tie to weather effects. I mean, I know things like, sometimes you can say, well, it's really windy in D&D, so all of your ranged attacks have disadvantage. Which is cool, but it's even cooler if you want it to be an active storm and you turn it into a layer action. So on initiative count 20 the environment is literally doing something on top of just that persistent, you know, rules thing. Yeah, I think Sentinels of the Multiverse actually has some environmental mechanics that can do that type of thing. I mean, that's not a role-playing game, but it's still like those environmental mechanics can be brought into the game. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I having done the, you know, looked at the quick start for that, that looks to be something that's going to be in the role-playing version of that when it comes out, which I'm really looking forward to. Cool. And I know it's definitely worth looking at the mechanical ways you can bring in weather, but you can also use it in games that don't necessarily provide a mechanical route to use it, simply to add flavor to the game. I know I often use weather as a way to reinforce the climate of the area the game is taking place in. My Tales from the Loops game all take place in the Nevada location, which is desert, dry, and... You know, so I'm not going to have a random rainstorm kind of without it being important. In fact, one of the one of the sessions I've put together to run at cons is called Snow Day. They don't generally get snow days in southern Nevada. So right. this is like, this is a thing. <laughs> so you can use the, the climate to reinforce the setting. Yeah. 
And if you're going to do a long-term campaign, it's worth at least bringing in the flavor of the seasons. I know the um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist mm-hmm. is specifically tailored mm-hmm. to the... Depending upon who you choose as your ultimate adversary for what's going on in the game, you're supposed to set it in the different seasons that Waterdeep experiences, and that can you know, add a very different flavor to what's happening in the game. Right. Yep. I'm currently running the, that uh, particular adventure, and uh, we're, we're, we delve into the weather quite a bit. So it, it does impact the game, even at the lower levels, but uh, it, it's more, like you said, flavor and style and theme mm-hmm. than, uh, than a, a direct mechanical impact. Although that's still there as an option. Yeah, and it, it kind of helps... Um... Because, you know, Waterdeep, Waterdeep Dragon Heist is very much enmeshed in the, you know, the breathing life of the city of Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the, the seasons gives you the different feeling of the way the city functions during the different seasons, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yep. Yeah, the um, I'm currently running the Tales of the Old Marguerite uh, Adventure Anthology from Cobalt Press. And there is one adventure later in the anthology that is very thematic to transitioning from fall into winter. So even though it's not as important for some of the earlier adventures, I have been trying to hit like, okay, now is the holiday where they're celebrating the transition from from spring into summer. Now you're in the middle of summer, it's really hot and sticky. I haven't really been doing a lot of mechanical things, but what I'm trying to do is set up that whole, when they hit that adventure where it's going into winter and they have to do a favor for, oh, I hope my players aren't listening. When they have to do a favor for Baba Yaga or else, you know, fire doesn't work for the winter in the Margrave, which is really bad, then it has more impact because they have felt the whole year progress. They know each of the seasons changing. And now it's like, oh, this is really important now that we're going from fall into winter. And it can it can it can also really help evoke the mood of what what you're trying to go for in a game. The the D&D campaign I'm currently playing in, the setting is transitioning from summer to fall. We're starting to get those cold rains and we're dealing like currently what we're trying to do is we're trying to solve a blight that has been causing, you know, famine and starvation through the land. So we've been traveling through these decimated farmlands and seeing just the, the, the ruin that has happened because of this blight that has been, you know, purposefully cast upon the land. And then right before we get to the, you know, where we're going to face the big bad that we think is behind all of this it's just been raining and miserable and like the gm just delights in describing <laughs> that you know espe- especially since we have you know in the party we have a storm cleric so he's got that that weather sense and then we have a dragonborn and we've we've established that the dragonborn in this setting come from the desert and you know they don't necessarily like getting wet, so she's just <laughs> she's just miserable underneath her tarp. We turned into a cloak, and just you know it adds a little bit of that role playing flavor mm-hmm. to the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've been talking about the the you know negatively impacting the the party. A buddy of mine years ago was running a fairly long running Ravenloft uh, campaign back when there were the different domains that you mm-hmm. could travel between and all that good stuff. And he actually had a break in the constant overcast cloud that is everywhere in Ravenloft. And there was a small break in the clouds and a single beam of sunlight shone through for a few minutes. And that gave us hope 
and and like one of the players. I mean, and we'd been running this game, or Jim had been running this game for us for I don't know about, about eight months by this point. And Jim broke out that that beam of sunlight, and all of a sudden, one of the players is crying. Not, not the character, the player. She's mm-hmm. like, "Oh my!" Or actually, no. This was another. It was another guy. We he was like, "Oh my gosh, it's sunlight. We we have to go there." And so we went there. And promptly got into more trouble, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. um, as you do, as you do, as, as you do, yeah. Um, but the beam of sunlight only lasted like two minutes, <laughs> but it was enough to give us hope that that is the land where hope is at. That is maybe our escape. You know, that we can go home if we find the sunlight. And it, it was very well played by Jim. So, so you know, if you can, it, it, it's just a change in mood, one way mm-hmm. or the other, is, mm. is very effective uh, when when dealing with weather. Yeah, and I know one of the, um, like in the Adventures in Middle-Earth, which is the 5e conversion of the One Ring role-playing game, mm-hmm. there are journey rules, which are a very procedural way of, you know, showing what your trip from one place to another is, which makes sense for a Tolkien-based RPG. Sure. But one of the things that happens there from the positive side is, one of the things that can happen during the journey is, it's a really nice day, everyone gets inspiration. <laughs> oh, you that's know? cool. Okay. Yeah, it was kind of a neat way, like... It does a really good job of playing with inspiration a little bit better than core 5th edition D&D does. Right? Yeah, it's a JT story was reminding of the scene from The Hobbit where they're traveling through the Mirkwood and Bilbo climbs up into the trees mm-hmm. to see if he can get a feel for where they're going. And he just, he breaks through the top of the trees and there's sunlight and the butterflies and just there's right? this moment of, of tranquility and hope. That, that you know, like that 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 has stayed with me since mm-hmm. I was a child, and my father read me The Hobbit. Yeah, you know, it's like that scene is like you know that's embedded. So it's like <laughs> that's that's definitely a good way to use it as well. You know, to, to you know not just not just complicate things and you know make it more dramatic with the bad weather, but you know add in the uh, you know, add in the moments of hope when you get the, the glimmers of sunshine or the sea is calm or, you know, that type of thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. I know one thing that I, it, it's funny because weather in different genres triggers different thoughts for me. And one of the things that I have noticed now that I like better if I'm running a superhero game is mm-hmm. I want to be able to model threats that are not supervillains. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times there are situations where superheroes are saving people from a hurricane or, you know, like Superman 3, where Superman flies into a tornado and turns it inside out, however much that may not work physics-wise. <laughs> but that was one of the things I really liked about Marvel Heroic in the Cortex Plus system is you could model that with someone acting against the Doom Pool. So it wasn't always that you had to have villains involved there. You could have people acting against a thing where there was a mechanical model showing whether they were doing a good job or not of fighting against, you know, this weather or helping the the people right. that they needed to get out of a flood or things like that. Right. Yeah, and that's a good point too because you you like there are challenges that don't necessarily have to have a face you can punch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> right. it's yeah. sometimes it's, you know, just the 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 world around you that you have to work against and and save people from. That's a that's a really good point too. Yeah, I think one, the last thing I want to bring up is don't forget about latitude as well. You know, from the equator to the, the north or south pole, whichever direction you're headed, drastically different weather depending on how far south or north you are as well. Because I've lived in very south Texas and very, very northern Montana. I mean, we may as well have been in Canada, to be honest with you. And 
the same time of year presents very different weather. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and that's honestly on a global scale, that's not a very big chunk of, of distance, mm-hmm. you know, even though it's kind of the two, two of the more extremes of the United States, the U S isn't the world, right. As, as much as some people would want it to be anyway. Um, and one funny thing is it was sweltering hot in Southern Texas and my grandmother calls me up. And she's like, make sure you put on your sunscreen today. And it was like freezing cold up in Montana. <laughs> we weren't going outside without like layers on because it was springtime where, where you get those weird fluxes in weather. Yeah. And my grandmother thought that, well, it's hot where I'm at. So it's hot everywhere else. <laughs> and she was concerned about me getting a sunburn. So she called to make sure I had my sunscreen on. Uh, another thing to put in there is you mentioned traveling towards the, the poles. Length of day. Mm-hmm. That can be a dramatically different thing depending upon the season you're in. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, you yeah. know, if, you have, if you're setting an adventure close to the North Pole in the summer, there's barely any night. Yep. You know, it's like you can have 22 hours of daylight. And then the exact opposite. If you're in the winter, you might have an hour or two of daylight. It's definitely something to keep in mind depending upon where you're setting your game mm-hmm. yep yeah i'm currently reading uh the belgariad for the very first time even though oh. those came out in the 80s yeah and i'm loving them i'm enjoying them so much but eddings in the i'm in the fifth book out of five uh no spoilers for those of you that haven't read it yet but maybe it, that expired because it came out in the 80s yeah anyway. but part of me is like what have you been waiting for uh i don't know i don't know <laughs> but uh He's the, 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 the three characters that, that are traveling together are the, the, uh, Garion is describing the shortness of the night. And I'm like, oh, he's near the North Pole during the summer. But Eddings doesn't come out and say they are near the North Pole during the summer. He just describes the length of day and length mm-hmm. of night. And he does it so well. I mean, he's done everything so well in the, in the, this series of books. But yeah, uh, that, that series is, is foundational to my love of fantasy. <laughs> I, I found it in the 80s and devoured it many times. Yeah, I don't know how I missed it. And I found all things David Eddings at a used bookstore about a year and a half ago. Oh, wow. And so I was like, yes, please. And ju- I, it, it, I don't know how many books it was that I picked up. Probably it, more than a dozen books that are all David Eddings. And I was just like, yep. Got them. Okay, let's start reading them. And here we are. Yeah, I never got much into the... Um, I read the Belgariad and the Malorian, not his other series, which I can't remember the name of. Uh, it's behind a layer of books behind me, so I'm not going to bother to get up and look. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 just just go look up. If you're interested, just look up David Eddings. There's a whole list of books. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm just going to quietly be over here saying I've never read Eddings. So. <laughs> no, hey, I hadn't either until about a year ago. Uh, you're missing out, man. Uh, it, it's, it's phenomenal fantasy. But what it does remind me of, I just recently uh, finished reading the fifth season by N.K. Jemsen, and... Though th- what's really neat about that is it reminds me when you have like fantasy or science fiction settings, sometimes playing up the fantastical nature of what weather is going to be, because in that series, there are seasons, which are like these cataclysmic, you know, times when people have to save up and live in shelters for a while. And the seasons are different, but they're like horrible things that go on for years that people have to live through. And, you know, so they have several years of normal weather and then, you know, you have this cataclysmic thing come up there. And that's something 
that you can have in a you know in a fantasy or science fiction yeah. setting where you have these yeah. massive massively different you know weather cycles and on top of that you also have a lot of you know near future stories that talk about how we could have really nasty weather upheavals <laughs> and how important that is yeah. in a story yeah it's, yeah it's it's definitely it's it's definitely something worth considering bringing into your games and and you know just helping add that that flavor or that extra little bit of challenge or just getting people to think outside of the box so any last words before we move on out of here no i'm good <laughs> okay it's actually a beautiful sunny day here so i'm fine with this yep hey it's it's finally henley weather so. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm realizing I, I don't have enough long sleeve shirts right now. Uh-oh. <laughs> so this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by Super Versatile, Always Useful Utility Umbrella. You think a Swiss Army knife is handy? Wait until you get your hands on this umbrella. It protects you from the rain. It protects you from bullets. It can be a boat in a pinch. And the handle can totally become a sword. Yeah, you know you want one. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other misdirected Mark shows. Here's another one to check out. Bonus experience. Ray and Monica are two old friends exploring gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of the dumbest humor gaming has to offer. Yep, die mad about it. That's their tagline. <laughs> so you can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. JT and Jared, where else can we find you on the internet? Jared, you first. Uh, you can find my personal blog at knighterrantjr.blogspot.com, and you can hassle me on Twitter at knighterrant underscore jr. And JT, what about you? Uh, One-stop shop for finding me online is jtevans.net. It's a website, and along the top is uh, link or links and icons and all that good stuff to all my social media goodness. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at orikes13, O-R-I-K-E-S-13, though Instagram is mostly just pictures of my cats. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, so do you guys think we avoided the stew this week? I mean, it is it is getting into nice stew weather. I was going to say the same thing. Winter's coming. You eat stew during the winter. Maybe John needs to stock the larder. I don't know. Uh... Do we ever do gnome chili? Oh. <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Welcome to the Gnomecast. Ah. <laughs> Welcome to. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs>